All right, good morning. Didn't Kim do a great job? I know, huh? And um, it, it touches my heart that she, you know, this fundraiser, this was God's idea that woke her up at, what, 3 in the morning or something like that? Yeah, have fun. Um, but <laughs> it's, it just touches my heart to see God use people like that. So um, you have any, I'm just blown away at Kim right now. Anyway, uh, God bless you guys. I tell you what, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day, and I pray that uh, you received our worship well. I pray that our hearts were right, and I pray that you just, again, prepare us, prepare us not only for worship, but prepare us for your word. I pray that um, as we go through this subject, that it will, it will, be, it will be divinely inspired, God. It's, God that's the, the practical stuff that I'm going to be talking about, God. It, it's going to go beyond that, and it will be spiritual. That it will be spiritual seed planted in our hearts. I pray that you would encourage us this season, and uh, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Amen. All right, well, good morning. Good to see you. You guys look good. Thanks for coming out. Um, I've got, uh, we're going to continue in our series on the best is yet to come on getting there. And it's, um, it's one of these, uh, you know, dream series, you know, big dreams and vision, vision for your life type of a thing. And, um, I, I, I sent some pictures, but they didn't go over real well. Uh, they didn't get transferred over to the email real well. But when we think of, of a dream, uh, we all should have dreams, and dreams are good. Uh, dreams can be bad, too. But dreams are good, and we all have to have them as human beings. And when we dream, we connect with God. But dreams are they're fuzzy. They're really hazy. They're up in the sky, and... And we can't really make sense of them. And so the best way that I, I see dreams, it's, it's, it, I see it in art. So raise your hand if you know who Jackson Pollock is. All right. So, uh, oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> I should have brought a picture. Okay. So abstract art or, uh, you know, expressionist art that's just, you know, it's all shapes and forms and it doesn't make any sense at all. But, you know, Jackson Pollock splattered paint all over the place. He had a really incredible sense of depth. And uh, it's just, you know, it really sucks you in. And whether you like that kind of art or not, it draws an emotional response. That's the purpose of it. It makes you feel something. Anybody know who Mark Rothko is? Raise your hand if you know who Mark Rothko is. Yeah, Terry, of course, and pastor. <laughs> Same type of idea. You, you walk in, and it's big, giant colors of colors, just, you know, orange and brown. And you're just looking at this big, giant thing. Like, what is this? Um, but it evokes an emotion, and that's what dreams do. We can't quite make sense of what a dream is, but we, but we feel it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you've got some divine sense of something about your life, and you can feel it. You just can't quite see it. And in order to see it is where, we, is where vision comes in. Vision is is so key to the spiritual life. It's key to scripture. The Bible says, if you don't have vision, you're going to perish. You're going to die. That's, that's some pretty heavy language. So if you don't have the ability to see God's dream for your life, if you can't, if you can't put some structure to it, you're going to die. What, what is, so, and, and, for my illustration in art, for a vision, it would be like a Claude Monet painting. You know who Claude Monet is? Yeah. You all should know who he is, right? Okay. But it's, he did these big, giant canvases of water lilies and cathedrals and landscapes, gorgeous stuff. Uh, and and you, they, were, they were meant to be viewed from far away. And you could see, you could see it in detail. I mean, it was, it's, they're gorgeous. But once you start getting closer and closer and closer, it begins to pixelate. And if you're standing this close to the painting, you can't, you can't see what it is. You don't, you're, just looking at, you're just looking at blotches of color. But you start to stand back and you start to catch the vision of what the painting is. So that's what vision is. It is so key that we can actually see the picture. Great leaders, great bosses, uh, great pastors, they're able to paint a picture of a vision. So if your, if your boss at work hasn't painted you a picture of the vision of, of the company or the direction of the, the organization, if you haven't caught the vision, um, you're an employee. You're just, you're just there, you're, you're, you know, you're punching your time clock, you're cashing in, but, and, and you're, well, you're, just, you're not on the same page as he, or he has failed or she has failed in painting the vision 
of the company and why you are there. And so this is, vision is, is key. If you don't have vision for your life, for specific areas in your life, they'll die. They'll, the Bible says they're going to perish. So if you don't have vision for your career, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to start to wither and fade. If you don't have a vision for your marriage, if you can't picture in your mind what your marriage ought to look like, if you can't project it, it's going to die. If you can't have vision for, for your ministry, if you can't see yourself serving God in the future and what that looks like, well, then, then you're, you're functioning in a dream and you haven't caught the vision yet. And, and you're, that area of your life will suffer. So this is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're gonna actually going to go beyond vision. Because again, you get close up to it and it begins to pixelate. A lot of us can, can see the picture. But a lot of us are stuck because we don't know how to get there. And so today we're going to talk about goals on getting there. And that's the topic of the day. And so if you want to get your Bibles out, we're going to look at a specific chapter in the Bible. It is the story of Abraham and him trying to arrange a marriage for his son that's, that's still at home. And uh, it's time for him to get married. Um, this is an interesting verse, an interesting chapter. Genesis Chapter 24. This is an interesting chapter because in it, in this one chapter, we have more reference to the word success than any other chapter in the Bible. It's worth paying attention to. It's an interesting story. And this, this story uses goal setting more than any other story in the Bible, too. It's, it's, an, amazing, it's an amazing little bit of history. Um, we'll read a little bit of it, and then I'm going to paraphrase some of it. Uh, the, the idea of the story, again, is Abraham has got to get a wife for his son Isaac. Abraham understands the dream. Like when he was, when he was, in, a, when he was in Iran, when he was a Sumerian, when he lived a comfortable life, God hit him with a dream. He got the warm fuzzy in church, right? Have you ever gotten the warm fuzzy in church where you feel something, you don't know what it is, but you're catching that dream? Okay, then God gives Abraham a very specific vision. What's that vision? Do we all know? Or do you need to go to Sunday school? Uh, what's, the, what's, what's the vision for Abraham's life? We can probably read it. Let's see. Let's go ahead and start reading. Uh, chapter 24, verse 1. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years. He's about 115 at this point. He said to the, uh, to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, he said, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the, the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the, Canaan, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living. But you will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is, unable, is unwilling to come back uh, with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Verse 6, make sure that you do not take my son back there. Abraham said, the Lord God of heaven who brought you out of my father's household and my native land. Okay, here's, here it is. And, and who spoke to me a promise uh, to me, I'm sorry, I'm stumbling, on the oath saying uh, to you, your offspring, I will give to you this land. He will send his angel before you so that you will get a wife for my son. Okay, so the overall vision for Abraham's life was that his offspring were going to be the chosen people. They were going to be the Israelites. They were God's people that he was going to covenant with. And they were going to number the sands on the beach and the stars in heaven. Uh, you know, the slight problem was is that Abraham was old and his wife was old and, you know, they, they had two kids and one was kind of, oh, let's just... Let's, Get rid of him. And, uh, and then the other one wasn't getting married. So they had a problem. 
And so, um, so Abraham understood his vision, but he needed to do something. He's getting old. He needed to, he needed to make he needed to make a plan. He needed, to, he needed to start setting some goals. And so we begin to see Abraham set some specific goals. Now, real quick, this business about um, uh, sticking your hand under the guy's thigh and swearing an oath. Okay, what in the world is that? Um, real quickly, that is, you know, the thigh and the, and the muscle here is the strongest muscle in the body. It's the strongest bone in the body. And so if you're going to swear an oath, you want to do it in strength. You want to really mean it. Now we just handshake. I mean, do you really trust people that you shake hands with nowadays? Maybe you should stick your hand under their thigh. I don't know. Here, come over here. Sit, sit on my hand. And I don't know. That's, maybe that will. Maybe not. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know. Never mind. Okay. So there's a lot of interesting things um, in this chapter. That's one of them. And uh, oh, I read a, should I do it? Should I do it? No. It's <laughs> like, no, don't do it. Uh, the first uh, reference of smoking in the Bible. Because <laughs> uh, Rachel lit off a camel. <laughs> you have to read it in the King James, though. You got to read it in the King James. So it's, it's like verse 65 or something. It, it doesn't come across in the translation in the NIV. So, so those that take the Bible literally... You, you're, you know, if you tell your kids, take the Bible literally, they're probably lighting off camels. All right. Um, I'm, so, I'm sorry. It's Bible humor. Okay, so we've got some several points that I want to look at today uh, from, from this goal-setting process that Abraham and his servant, Eleazar, partake upon. All right, so Eleazar goes on this quest to find his, his master, uh, a wife for his kid so they can kick him out of the house. And, um, and uh, uh, he, he goes through a very specific goal-setting process, and that's what we're going to look at. So the first thing that we got to do when we begin to set goals on uh, putting wheels on our vision or really fleshing out this vision, uh, and just, you know, instead of just looking at it but actually making it happen, First thing that we got to do is that we have to, on your outline, you have to uh, determine your position. Where are you? This is a difficult thing to do. Where are you? I mean, it seems kind of specific and, and like you understand it. But um, before you begin to set goals about whatever goal you want to set, you have to ask yourself, where am I? Where am I? Specifically, let's say you want to lose some weight. You want to set a goal on some weight. You need to weigh yourself. You need to see where you're at. It might be a little painful, but you got to figure out where you are at. That's the first thing that we got to do. Where am I at? And then you got to ask yourself, what do I need to do? What do I need to change? Is another thing that you need to ask yourself. What do I need to change? And this, you know, like, okay, obviously I am at this weight and I need to get to this weight. And so this first thing that you got to do is you got to determine where you're at and you have to be honest with yourself when you do it. Um, and the interesting thing about this is Abraham is setting a goal. And the guy is 115 years old. So one of the points that we can, one of the things that we can learn from this is it's never, you're ne- it's never too late to start setting goals. If you're not a goal setter, and if you're, you know, if you're 115 years old, let's, it's okay. You can go ahead and start setting goals. If this is your last day on the planet, it's still a good idea to make a a goal for the rest of your life. You got 24 hours to live. Let's come up with a plan. And then that's it's it's biblical. Okay, so it's just uh, you have to determine your position. The second thing that you got to do is you have to define your your goal, or you have to define the purpose. You have to really be specific about what you're doing. And we see Abraham and Eleazar start start fleshing this goal out. Okay, what do they what do they send them there to do? They send them. He's sending his servant to get his son, a wife. And what kind of a wife? Well, not a Canaanite wife, not a wife that, that you know, is around his area. Don't want one of those. This, like, this is like the first fiddler on the roof, right? You guys remember that? Um, it's very specific. He says, I want you to go to my country, to my clan, to my religion, and I want you to pick out 
an attractive woman, because it, it, it starts to describe her in detail. I want you to find an attractive virgin of, of, of my clan. So he's very specific. And so he, he sets them off with the specific details. And so this is what we got to do. This is an important key to taking a vision that's, that, that, that you can see, but it's still kind of fuzzy. And in turning it into a reality, you have to put a goal that is very specific, specific details. Um, modern day, uh, let's say you're, you're like the Isaac type and you're looking for a spouse. What are you looking for? It is when you set. You should set this type of a goal. You should be specific on what you want in a, in a spouse, in a mate. You know, I, well, I, you know, I want them to. I don't know, be five foot five, because that's normal height. And uh, <laughs> sorry, um, you know, or you know, I, I I want this person to be. Uh, I would be great if they lived in the area so I don't have to do the long-distance relationship. Um, I would like for them to be a Christian. That's a very specific thing to, to begin to set your goals around. Uh, I would prefer them to be educated because I've got a degree and I have, they have a degree, so there needs to be some type of a, we need to be able to connect on an intellectual level. Uh, definitely a good thing to put on your list. So you need to be specific when you begin to, to, to do these goals on, on what you want. Uh, and here's the difficult part, too, is that you have to say, uh, what do I want to be? You know, where, where do I want to where, where go with this? Uh, what do I want to do? And what do I want to have? Okay, so what, what is it that you really want to have? And you have to say, do I really want that? Now, once you begin to frame out your goal, once you begin to set it, once you begin to verbalize it, once you see, you think about your goals in your head, and then you start talking about them. All right? So Abraham started talking about his goal to his servant. Once you begin to flesh this thing out, something interesting is going to happen. Somebody's going to say, what if? And that's what Eliezer did. Immediately, Eliezer says, what if she doesn't come? All right? So expect it. You have a goal you verbalize it, you share it with somebody, I guarantee you somebody is going to say, what if? You're going to get the negative Nancy right off the bat. Uh -uh, you can't do that. That's a bad goal. All right? So expect it. It's just, it, it's just the law of nature. It's probably a spiritual law. It's going to happen. Somebody's going to naysay it. Now, here's the thing. Um, I want, we're going to talk about... Um, uh, overcoming obstacles in a minute. Once you're in this very first phase of trying to figure out what it is you want and you're fleshing it out and you're being very specific, it is not the time to problem solve. Problem solving comes later. Problem solving is a part of this goal setting process, but that does not happen here and now. So Eliezer was right in trying to plan ahead, right? It's good to plan ahead, right? But he, he, his timing was way off. It came across negative. John F. Kennedy said, on this date, America is going to put a man on the moon. He set a goal, and he put a date on it, and it was very specific. He's going to put an American on the moon. Now, I, I guarantee you there was some rocket scientist that says, we can't do that yet. We should not say we should not declare things, you know, things publicly yet, because that can't happen. So they didn't solve the problem of getting to the moon, but Kennedy had the vision and the foresight and enough information to knew that they, they could pull it off. And so, before you, you, you see, if you go in trying to solve all the problems before you set the goal, you're never going to do it. You're never going to do it. So you can't have everything solved before you start the goal-setting process. That comes along later. I mean, if they, if they said, okay, Kennedy, before you make that statement, we've got to make sure we've got to pull it off. It's already got to be done and in the can before we go. It would have never have happened. We wouldn't have made it. All right, so it's got to be clear. It's got to be got to have a time, and you've got to make sure that you filter out the naysayers, the people that says, what if? And it can't be vague. Vision and, and dreams are vague. Your goals cannot be vague. That, that's the main point to this issue. Goals can't be vague. They've got to be crystal clear. 
Vision can be hazy. Dreams are abstract, but goals have got to be crystal clear. Okay, next thing that we got to do is we have to discover a promise. Now, um, a lot of this material is stuff that I stole from Zig Ziglar, who stole it from somebody else. You know who Zig Ziglar is? Okay, he's a motivational speaker. He's actually, he, he's with the Lord right now. He died in November. Um, but uh, he, he's the one that set up this concept of goal setting. So a lot of these points I've taken from him. So if you want to delve in deeper, uh, get his book on goal setting. And he, he's just an amazing, amazing guy. Any motivational speaker on the planet has ripped him off. And so just uh, almost word for word. I have, I have read books from other people, and they have ripped him off almost word for word. They take his illustrations even. So it's, it's anyway, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about him. But what I did is I included spiritual goals into this too. One of the, one of the things that I keep on saying over and over and over again in this series is that um, you can go to Barnes & Noble and get, a, and get a secular self-help book and become a successful person. You can do it. And you know what? Um, if you can be successful without God, good for you. You're awesome. I know I can't. Um, I, I desperately need God in my life because I, I don't have the abilities to pull things off. This is, the, this is the beauty about the Christian faith is that we get the abilities, the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do things that are beyond us. I had a, um, I had a friend in, um, in, in high school and I, he was his wealthy friend. He came from a wealthy family. Uh, his dad was the founder of a, of a, of a company that we all know. And um, uh, you know, he, got a, he got a car, he got a brand new car every day on his birthday. And uh, just, you know, interesting family. But anyway, he I, he, I don't know, for some reason, we were friends, and he came to my youth group. I led him to the Lord, baptized him in our pool, and he was really getting close and intimate with God, uh, making a really strong connection with God. Actually, even talked about going into ministry someday. So he was catching that dream, right? You know, he was getting the warm fuzzy in church, and he's like, I could do this. I have a call on God on my heart. And I remember very vividly, we were, the youth group was playing broom ball at the Ontario Ice Rink. You guys know what that is? That's like the dumbest thing in the, in the entire world. Some youth pastor thought that up. Let's put a bunch of hormonally charged teenagers on the ice with sticks. And... You know, I got hit in the face, and I don't know, some cute little girl got hit in the face, and we were sitting on the bleachers, and, and I, I was holding my nose, I was bleeding and whatever. And um, I remember Pastor talking to my friend's dad in the bleachers, and he was just having this conversation with him and, you know, doing what Pastor does and, and basically evangelizing him. And he's talking about his son in the youth group and how much growth his son was experiencing. And he says, wow, your, your son is just, you know, he's really changed. There's something different about him. He's got, he's, you know, he's, his confidence has gone up and he really loves God. And, you know, this, you know this, is, this is a really great thing for him. And, you know, this very successful business person that's done it all on his own, he says, yeah, that's because my son is weak. And... Uh, and this is an individual that has done everything on his own, and he's taken God out of the equation. All right, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But that's the idea. It's like, we, we can, you can do self-help book, and you can take God out of the equation. You can use biblical principles and be successful, and there's no God in it. Good for you. You're, you're awesome. You've done it. You should be proud of yourself, right? There's more to life than that. There's more to life than just being successful. There's more to life than being successful. Um, okay, so we have to uh, discover a promise. Now, the Bible, this is where it gets spiritual. This is where we go from the self-help book and into the, into the self-help book, which is the Bible. There are over 7,000 promises in this book for you. 
And when you begin to craft your goals, when you begin to flesh out the vision for your life, you're going to have to do a little research. You're going to have to do a little homework. You need to crack the book, and you need to start looking for promises for your life. They're in there. And you need to take a promise in the Bible, and you need to identify it with your goal. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is a promise from Philippians. All right? Um, so you have to be able to do that. They're in there. There's tons of them. It's chock full of it. 7,000 promises waiting for you to claim them, waiting for you to attach it to your goal. If, you don't, if, you, if there's not a spiritual element to your goal, it's just a secular goal. All right? So they're in there. So identify it. Make it you know, identify it with the promise waiting to be claimed. You know, the, the, the point of that is, too, we need to be able, we need to have the courage to do things beyond our own abilities. You might have the skills and the abilities to make yourself rich. And you don't need to depend on God. I think, as people of faith, Pastor talked about this a while ago. We need to position ourselves to where if God doesn't come in and save us, we're going to perish. <laughs> That's kind of a scary thought. But people of faith put themselves into a place where only God can come through and save them. Even rich business people that have all the skills and they play it safe, they're not content because they never trusted in God they never took risk that only God could pull off. All right. So you have to go beyond your abilities and willing to let God bail you out. That's a tough one. All right. This one is interesting. You have to describe the prophet. Like, what are you going to get out of it? You're going to set a goal? What's in it? This is going to sound tough. This is going to sound unchurchy. Can somebody get me some water, please? I'm getting cotton mouth here. Sorry. There's water in that. Thank you, Angela or Jennifer. Um, you have, what's in it for me? Oh, man. Oh, don't say that, Josh. We're Christians. We're not supposed to be selfish, right? What, okay, you're going to set a goal. What do you get out of it? This is actually an important thing to think about. I mean, I know it might, it might come off as sounding um, selfish or materialistic, but I don't want you to think of it in that terms. But you need to be able to say it to yourself, what's the prize if I set this goal? What do I get out of it or what does God get out of it? What's the, you know, what's the return for the amount of energy that I'm going to spend putting into this? Thank you. What's the payoff? You have to ask yourself, what's the payoff? And um, so, okay, why? Why, why, is that, why is that an important point? Because if you set a goal that doesn't have a good return or there's not a benefit or if there's not a, a prize at the end of the, or a light at the end of the tunnel, when the going gets hard, you're going to quit because there's nothing motivating you to see you fulfill that goal. So if you don't get anything out of it, if, if you don't, see anybody else getting anything out of it, you're going to quit when the going gets, gets tough. Like this, you know, it doesn't serve a purpose if there's no profit at the end of it. All right, so that's, that's the part that probably makes everybody uncomfortable. All right, here's where we start getting into the nitty-gritty of it. You have to ask yourself, why do you want it? Why do you want that thing? Why do you want that goal? What's your, what's your motivation? And here's the, here's the defining one. This is the one that um, I think you need to think about when you begin to set goals, is once you accomplish the goal, how are you going to feel after you've accomplished it? Hmm? Have you ever thought about that? Oh, I just want to be, I just want to make, and I want $10,000 in my bank account. Well, okay, why do you want it? How is that really going to make you feel? How is it going to make you feel? I, we all know miserable rich people, right? They've accomplished everything that their hearts desired, and they're miserable. 
Just got to ask my, my uh, friend's dad and his uh, whiskey bottle, right? They're miserable. So you have to say, that's an honest, tough question. How am I going to feel after I, after I get this? Is it going to fulfill me? And, you know, man, that's, it gets into the heart of God. Okay, this is where we get to, into the next step of this. Number five is that you have to desire it in prayer. This goal that you have, you have to desire it in prayer. And, you know, desire is a good thing. I mean, unless you're a junior high boy, and then you're, you're going to be, you know, desiring Swedish supermodels. But, <laughs> and, and you're praying about it a lot, right? Um, sorry. <laughs> but this is the key to it. This is the key to getting our motivation straightened out. It has to be, uh, we have to make it a point of prayer. Um, let me read it. Let me read how Eleazar does it. Uh, chapter 24, verse, verse 12. Eleazar says, prays. Then he prayed, O Lord God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. That's interesting, huh? So Eleazar is actually praying for success. And we can do that. Did you know that you can pray for success? All right, interesting point, though. Who is Eleazar praying for success for? It's not for him. It's for his master. It is, you have to be, you have to pray for success. It's okay to even pray for success in your own life. What's the other option? Are you going to pray for failure? I tell you, you don't need to waste your time doing that. That just happens naturally. Okay? You know, anytime you pray for success for other people or for God's glory, chances are you're doing pretty good. If you're praying for success for yourself, for the ultimate glory of God, chances are you're doing pretty good. But, you know, this, the desire to pray and to, and, to, and to see God's will done, I mean, that is going to be one of the things that's going to distinguish between uh, a Christian goal setter and a secular goal setter. They're going to try to align themselves with God's will. Okay. All right. Um, I think you, if you've been in the church long enough, I think you ought to know that um, the philosophy, I'm going to call it a philosophy, of uh, prosperity gospel turns our stomachs. It's revolting. You know, the only reason why I'm, I'm getting close to God is so God's going to bless me and, and make me a rich person. You know, there's entire churches that, that dedicate themselves to prosperity gospel. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to work for anything. God's just going to supernaturally bless you. You don't have to pay a cost. There's nothing, you know, there's no output that you have to do. He's just, you're just going to get blessed. You just need to pray and you'll be fine. So prosperity gospel is actually a dangerous thing. But I want to highlight some scriptures today that uh, makes you think. All right, Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So if you desire in prayer, and if you believe, you receive it before you even get it. That's that name it and claim it thing, right? All right. All right, continuing the same thought. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. If you were desiring in prayer, if you're, if you're really asking yourself, what is my motivation? And you're just like, okay, I've been knocking on this door, and it's not opening. 
I've, I've, you know, I've been knocking on this job door for so long and it's not opening. You have to ask yourself, okay, what's my motivation? Is this, is this for me or is this for the glory of God? Am I, am I not being patient enough? Is there, a, is there a time thing here? Okay, John 15, 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. That's a powerful statement. You ask for whatever you want, and it's going to be given to you. What's the catch? You remain in me, and I remain in you. It is, you are literally planted into God's vineyard. All your nutrients, all your sustenance comes from him. The illustration that Jesus uses is he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And what that really means, the way it's translated is, I am the vineyard and you are the grape plants. And you need to be planted in my vineyard. And everything that you get, all your nutrients, all your sustenance needs to come directly through me. And once you, once you are in me, once you are in, planted in my field, my word will remain in you. And it's not the logos, it's the rhema. And the rhema word of God is that living, breathing, alive word that gives life. It's the freshly spoken word of God. And it will, it will tell you, it will lead you, it will guide you in what to do as long as you're planted in the vineyard of Christ. All right? Okay, now it gets even better. James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Okay, did you catch the word desires there? All right, so if we are approaching God in prayer and we have desires that are battling within us, that's what he says about that. You want something but you don't get it. And here comes the, the desire. You kill and you covet. You scrap, you fight. You're unjust. But you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. But then there's another part. You do not ask God. You don't have because you don't ask. Usually we just kind of leave it right there, but this is another part, God. You don't have because you don't ask. You didn't ask God. How many times in our lives when we begin to set goals, when we begin to head in a direction, and we want things, but we never bothered asking God about it? Oh, God, I want, um, you know, I want this job. And I'm going to spend about two minutes in prayer for it. I'm going to pray about two minutes for this. The amount of response you get from God, if it's, if it's important enough for you to spend a lot of a time in prayer, then it's going to be important to God to partner up with you. If you're going to throw up a flippant prayer about something, he's not going to give you that much attention on it. When we begin to desire in prayer, write it down. What are you praying for? Are you praying for that financial thing, that financial breakthrough? You know, you only pray when things get hard or whatever. This is where you begin to desire things in prayer. Make a prayer journal about this. Mako and I still have a prayer journal when we were praying for a child. We wrote it down. We said, God, bless us with a child. It was something that we brought to prayer, and we, we, we had a record of it. And the thing about adding prayer to your goal-setting process is that it makes it supernatural. You know, when Abraham set this, Abraham and Eliezer made this plan, set this goal, uh, an angel of the Lord went before them and prepared the situation. 
it became supernatural at that point. Wouldn't that be great for you in your life? Like, let's go, let's go back to the spouse thing. You, you've got, you're, you're praying for a specific person. You, got, you, got their, you have their, you know, you, you, can, you can vision what they look like, sort of. And um, you're, you begin to write it down. And you're depending on God. And supernaturally, you guys just might meet. An angel might go before you and, and divinely arrange the appointment, which is good. Okay. Next thing we got to do, okay, this is where the problem-solving phase comes in. Number six, so you got to diagnose the problems or the roadblocks. So you begin this, this problem-solving, you begin the goal-setting thing. I guarantee you bad things are going to happen. You begin to set goals. You begin, you're, you're, okay, I'm going to go on a diet and I'm going to start, and I'm going to start this goal of, of losing 10 pounds. Um, Christmas is going to happen. <laughs> Bad things are going to happen. They, they, there's always going to be roadblocks and stumbling blocks on why you can't fulfill your goal or why you need to go back to your old way of life. And when you, when you do this goal setting process, when you begin to understand what the problems are, are you have to ask yourself, why don't I already have this? Okay, I haven't, I haven't accomplished this goal. Why haven't I already accomplished this goal? Why don't I have this? So I start thinking about this. Why, why, is, why is this still a goal that hasn't been fulfilled? How long is it going to take to get there? And what is blocking it? That's a tough question to ask. That's an honest question that you've got to ask yourself. What is blocking me from accomplishing this goal? Is it a financial issue? Is it an emotional issue? Is it a spiritual issue? Is it a lazy issue? What is it that, what's keeping me from, from uh, overcoming these problems? Number seven is we gotta design a plan. You have to design a plan whenever you, whenever you, again, this gets into specifics, but you have to have a blow-by-blow -blow detailed thing of what you're gonna do when you, when you begin to, to, to set a goal. Um, in my 20s, I, uh, I, I had a problem with growing up. I didn't want to grow up. I had, I had Peter Pan syndrome. And uh, I was dating my wife, Mako. I think she's homesick today, so we're going to talk about her. Um, oh, she's here? Where is she? Uh-oh. All right, just... Just turn the cameras off. Um, but uh, uh, I, was, I was overseas. I was dating Mako. And I, you know, we were talking about marriage. We actually went ring shopping. But I was not popping the question. I was dragging my feet. I didn't want to grow up. And so while I was overseas, my dad calls me up. And he says, son, uh, Mako's not picking you up from the airport this time. Time to grow up, son. You've got Peter Pan syndrome. All right? And so that was like a, a cold shower. That woke me up. That, that rattled me into reality. And so uh, when I got back, I'm like, I came up with a detailed plan with dates and times and locations. And I, and I, and I touched bases with Mako. I loved her so much. There was no way I was going to let her get away. And I said, we're doing, this is the date. We're going we're gonna to go get the ring on this date, and we're going to go to this beach, and I'm going to get down on one knee, and I'm going to propose to you at, the, at 745. And so I was very specific. And I'm not like that normally. I am not like that normally. But I gave her a blow-by-blow a, a blow account of what we were going to do. I came up with the plan, and I was motivated to, to initiate the plan. And again, this is key, I had a timeline. I knew what date and what time that this was going to happen. If you don't put a time on your plan, it's not going to get done. I got a, I did this a year and a half ago, and it was, it's still on our cork board in our office. And this is the goals for us to get our house straightened up. All right? So we wrote this, we wrote our goals about a year and a half ago. What's wrong with my goal, my to-do list? 
There's no dates on it. You want to know how many of these things I got done? I got. No, I didn't do the paint. I got the baseboards done. Right there. That's the only one I got done. A year and a half later. So I had great intentions. I'm like, I'm going to do a to-do list. I'm going to come up with some goals. I'm going to get this stuff done. But I didn't, put, I didn't force myself to put a date on it. Now, Eliezer did. When he, when he engaged, you know, when he went there, he's like, okay, we're going to do this by this time, and we're going to take care of it. And you know, so there, he, he came up with a, he was a genius at coming up with a specific plan on how to get stuff done. All right, what else does he do? All right. All right, so that course of action thing. Okay, number eight, you have to discipline your character. This is, I know, you're just all checking out right now. Um, number eight, the next step that you got to do is you have to discipline your character, discipline your personality. And no one likes to hear that. Once we start doing messages on character, people check out. And um, look, one of the things about our church, one of the defining things about our church is we're, we believe that all the gifts are for today. Absolutely, 100%. In fact, everything that happened in the New Testament, we expect to happen here. Blind people healed, dead people waking up, Shekinah glory lighting up the auditorium. We, we expect that kind of stuff because the Bible says that we should. And we have seen stuff like that. So this is one of our desires of our heart. This is one of the things that we go for and we pray for. It is one of our values. But you want to know what the other value is? Character. You can't have one without the other. You, you just can't. And we won't. You might get it for a little while, then you start faking it. And we won't have one without the other. And so, um, same is true with us. You have to discipline your personality. And we see, we see Eleazar do this when he begins to when he goes into um, Abraham's clan, he takes his time. He doesn't rush things. He actually observes the girls, and he, he takes note of how she responds, of how Rachel responds. And so he's, he's, he's patient. So he doesn't jump the gun. He's patient, takes his time on, 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 on pulling the trigger here. Um, he expresses discipline of his flesh. Because they're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do a banquet and we're gonna eat food, but the deal hadn't been done yet, the contract hadn't been completed, they hadn't arranged the marriage yet, and Eliezer does something very interesting. He says, "Let's not eat. I'm not gonna eat until the deal's done." What's he doing here? He's postponing pleasure. He's he's ex he's expressing his character by postponing pleasure. Our society does not know how to do this. Maturity of, on any level, spiritual maturity or emotional maturity, is all marked by people who can postpone pleasure. If you use your credit card and go into debt to go to amusement parks, you're, you're immature. You're not postponing pleasure. You, you have fun. At least it's an illusion that you're having fun. But when you have to come back later and pay the bill, you're not having fun. And it really wasn't worth it. But we, we are so entertainment-driven that, that we, just, we get whatever we want, and we don't have the abilities to postpone pleasure. Eleazar also has the ability to discipline the words coming out of his mouth. He holds his tongue. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't speak too fast, too rashly. And he also manages his time. Next point, um, number nine, you have to deposit the price. Whenever you set a goal, if it's worth having, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. It might cost you relationships. It might cost you your free time, your personal time. So if you really want it, it's going to cost you something. So you have to ask yourself, what is it going to cost? What am I willing to give? Is it worth it? Is, again, we talked about the return. Is it worth it? Is the cause worth more than the cost?
is it going to cost me more pain in the long run? Uh, everybody here has heard, heard of World Vision, right? It's a great missions organization. They, did, they do great work across the world. The founder um, in the 50s and 60s, he, he started the ministry after the war in, in Korea. And he just, his, it was a dream. It was a vision that God called him to. And he, he fulfilled it. He put together specific goals. And he changed the world through this vision. But it cost him a lot. And he never spent the time to figure out what it was going to cost him. On his deathbed, he died alone. His wife didn't, wasn't there, and his kids were estranged from him. He was doing ministry work in Vietnam, and his daughter calls him up and says, I really need you to come home right now. I'm having a very difficult time. And the response was, honey, I can't. I'm doing the Lord's work. And she, shortly afterwards, she took her life. And so we have to ask ourselves, okay, your goal seems like a good thing. What's it really going to cost you? Is it worth costing you your family? Is it worth costing you your sanity? Is, is it going to be a healthy thing for you? What's my true motivation for wanting this goal? All right? And is your goal someone else's or is it your goal? Okay, number 10, you have to depend on people. You just can't do this alone on your own. If you, if you have a goal that you can't bring somebody else into, you can't bring your spouse into, then you have to think to yourself, am I selfish? Is it just for me? Does your goal benefit community? Does your goal benefit family? Does your goal benefit the kingdom? You have to ask yourself these types of questions, or is it just for me? The only way that you can do that is if you are willing to bring somebody else into your goal. All right. Um, back to Zig Ziglar. We're going to wrap it up here. Uh, if we could bring up the, his wheel of life. All right. So this is the famous Zig Ziglar wheel of life. I'm sorry I got pixelated a little bit. But what he says is he says, in order for you to be successful in life, you need to set goals in every area in your life, in, in, in these seven areas. This is his wheel of life. Each one needs a goal. And some of them are, are seem, yeah, I, I get that. Like, I wanna, definitely want to have a goal for my career. That makes a whole lot of sense. You know, I got a dream for my life, for my career, and I need to set career goals. Most everybody does that. Most everybody does financial goals. If you've been to the Dave Ramsey thing, you have done financial goals over and over again. Um, the one on the bottom, intellectual goals, you, ha you have to keep on learning. I mean, again, you're never too old to keep on learning. What, how many, what books are you going to read this year? You know, are you going to go to any classes? You have to continue to grow your learning. You have to continue, as Zig Ziglar says, you have to continue to sharpen your tool. Uh, physical goals is another e easy one. You know, you're going to go on Weight Watchers. You're going to be able to set goals. You're going to be able to measure it. That's an easy one. Okay, I'm going to point out some of the hard ones. Family is a hard one. Have we ever set goals for our families? This was, a, this was a challenge for me. No, I don't know if I ever have. Have I ever set a goal where we're going to go away or we're going to spend specific time on this date just to do family stuff? Vacation might be one that fall into that category. But we, you know, what's the vision for your family and what goals are you going to implement to get to that vision for your family? The one that you can't see that, that messed up there between family and career, that one's social. Now, this one hit me a few years ago. Um, social, what do you mean by that? Okay, if you, are, if you don't have a goal to meet a spouse, you're not going to meet a spouse. I mean, maybe God's going to supernaturally, you know, put somebody in an elevator with you. I don't, I doubt it. Come on. Um, but... If you, you have to work towards this. You have to set a goal. You have to put yourself, you have to position yourself to meet new people. You have to. Hopefully it's here. 
Or it could be online. I don't know. I don't care. But you have to set goals for this or it's never going to happen. It's not going to happen unless you set a goal. Um, This hit me. Okay, you do it for dating, but what about friends? Do you have goals for your friends? This one hit me a few years ago because I realized that I was doing ministry in a church of two or 300 people and I was serving a lot of people and I loved a lot of people, but I didn't have any friends. I didn't have anybody to hang out with. And so my wife, because I brought her into my life and my goals, we made a goal that I was going to make friends and be nice to people. I know. Yes. That's what good wives are for, right? But, I mean, really, have you ever thought about that? Have you really thought about, okay, I, friendship is a, is a key a component in life. You have to have friends. And introverts like me have to work on that. It takes work to do it sometimes. Now, the one that I've been struggling with is the other one between physical and, and uh, financial. That one says spiritual. And so when I first started studying and I first started looking at this, I'm like, eh, okay, this is definitely secular in nature because uh, spiritual is, um, is, a, is a piece of the pie here. Uh, spiritual should be the whole pie, right? So this is my, you know, this is, this is my thing. It's like, okay, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm a spiritual formation person. You know, the spiritual should be, it should be a bigger piece. It should be, you know, more dynamic. And um, I was just thinking about this. And I was like, okay, because the Bible says, uh, in Proverbs, it says, uh, from the heart comes the wellspring of all life, which means, from your spirit comes everything that your life depends on. And that's a biblical truth. Everything ought to flow out of your heart and it ought to flow into these different areas. So at least spiritual, the spiritual part needs to be highlighted, at least in my opinion. But then I started thinking, all right, how many people do I know that they've got the spiritual thing down but every other area in their life is a disaster. They come across as being spiritual, but their family life is a wreck. They come across being spiritual, but their finances are a disaster. And I was reading a book the other day, and it, uh, it said, the most spiritual thing that you can do sometimes is go in the kitchen and do the dishes. And then I threw the book across the room, and I said, this is stupid. And uh, I don't need to be... I need to be meditating on the word right now and the dishes. And so, what's the point? If any of these areas in your life have not been planned out and there are no goals, or if there are weak, then you're basically you're driving around with flat tires and your life is unbalanced. Your life is unbalanced. So that's, that's the challenge today is, okay, it's not just setting spiritual goals. It's setting goals for all these areas in your life. I would suggest start with spiritual because I'm the pastor or whatever. But um, it does. It's true. Every, all the wellspring of life comes from the heart. So I would, do say, I would say start there. But you have to be honest with yourself. Are you... Uh, Avoiding other areas of your life? Are you, are you over-spiritualizing things? Like, God, I'm just going to be praying about my finances. And then God calls you up and he says, no, son, you need to go do your budget. You see what I mean? We, we, we can spiritualize things and avoid getting them done. You know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get skinny by osmosis in the Holy Spirit. That ain't going to happen. All right. If I could get the band and the ushers to come on up to the front. And as they're on their way up, I have a couple more verses that I want you to hear. Above all else, guard your heart. Proverbs 4. For everything you do flows from it. Jesus says, A good man 
brings good things out of good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And this is your application, take home, write it down in your Bible, focus on this one. Habakkuk 2, verses 2. This is in the King James. And the Lord answered me. So you're going to turn to God, right? You're going to make this a desire and prayer. So the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Write the vision. You got this vision. You got to write it down. Write it down and make it plain. Make it simple on stone. That's how important it is to get, the, get this vision, get these goals from, from your head, from your spirit, and you need to make them concrete. You need to put them in stone. That he who reads it can run. So some of us aren't moving. Some of us aren't running. Some of us are stuck because we haven't written it down, because we don't have a game plan, because we don't know where to go. We haven't set our goals. We just don't know where, we don't have any direction. And it's there. The direction's there. But we just got to step away from the painting a little bit. We need to start making things very clear and very specific. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you, uh, you met with us today. We thank you that your presence was here ministering to us. God, I want to pray for everyone that's struggling right now. They're struggling with uh, making ends meet, and they're struggling in their relationships, and they're struggling with direction in their life. And I pray that you would just begin to make things clear for them. There's probably not a person in this room that hasn't felt your glory, that hasn't touched your dream or seen your vision for their life. So I gotta pray that you just give us the courage to start making things clear. I pray that you will uh, give us the ability to measure what's important in our life and what's not. I pray that you give us the courage to say this is from God and this isn't. This is my selfish desires. I need to get rid of this. So God, I pray that you will just reveal those things in our hearts this week. Bless this offering. Amen.